0: Focus on Headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio are our usual Tuesday reporters in Cheong and Lee Guys, welcome back.
1: Good evening.
0: Good evening, guys. We have a ton of news to cover on this uh, Tuesday evening, but uh, we are, of course, going to start things off. Uh, with President Yoon seok visit to New York, uh, where the UN General Assembly is taking place. Well, from the get-go, on the very first day of his visit to New York, uh, he's been very busy, uh, held a series of bilateral talks uh, throughout the day uh, to promote the 2030 Busan World Expo. Uh, of course, the uh, the voting on that uh, will take place on the General Assembly, I believe slated for Uh, I believe October or November I believe Uh, but nevertheless uh, he arrived at New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport at 10 a.m. local time Uh, President Yoon met with leaders of nine countries in a span of nine hours and you're gonna start us off uh, tell us about the meetings there
2: of course so unprecedentedly packed meeting schedules for a Korean president with nine countries and that happened in the order of Sri Lanka San Marino Burundi the Czech Republic Denmark Montenegro Turkmenistan, St. Lucia, and Bosnia-Herzegovina. Now, the meetings went on for approximately 20 minutes each. Now, the first country to talk to was Sri Lanka. Now, it was President Yoon's first-ever summit with Sri Lankan President uh, Lanil Vikramasinghe after taking office. Uh, Yoon started off the conversation by stating that Sri Lanka is a key partner in Korea's development cooperation, and the government hopes to cooperate more in areas such as labor, climate change response and trade and investment. Uh, President uh, Vikramasingha also responded. He hopes to promote the trade and investment cooperation agreement, and the two leaders also agreed to conclude the Korea-Sri Lanka climate change cooperation agreement as soon as possible. Uh, now, in his meeting with Czech President uh, Petr Pavel, uh, Yoon offered cooperating in hydrogen economy and high-speed railway construction, and President Pavel also showed a great reception, mentioning that the country is rich in lithium resources. He voiced his hope to cooperate with South Korea in battery production. He also expressed his support for South Korea's non-permanent seat on the UN Security Council and jointly respond to the threats from North Korea. Thank <laughs> Uh, meeting with Danish Prime Minister Mette uh, Frederiksen, uh, you noted the relationship between the two countries was upgraded to a comprehensive green strategic partnership in May 2021. Uh, now, the leaders agreed to strengthen the Green Growth Alliance by expanding green cooperation for offshore wind, eco-friendly shipping and sustainable agriculture. They also shared uh, concerns uh, regarding the recent development between North Korea and Russia and committing uh, committed to work together for the security and peace of the international community. Uh, of course, during the summit with President uh, Verdi Muhammadov uh, of Turkmenistan, the two presidents saw eye-to-eye in reinforcing construction cooperation between the two countries, including developing new smart cities in Turkmenistan. Uh, with St. Lucia's Prime Minister Philip joseph Pierre, Yun promised to expedite uh, its support for cricket stadium renovation and youth training Vehicles. The Prime Minister welcomed Korea's efforts in strengthening climate change response in the Caribbean region. Now, last but not least, Yoon also had a summit with Bosnia-Herzegovina's President Zelko Komšić and noted that the recent uh, recently signed Economic Cooperation Agreement will be the foundation of their bilateral cooperation. In response, Komšić expressed his appreciation for Korea's support in moderi- modernizing the country's customs administri- administration system.
0: Again, from the very get-go here on the first day of his trip to New York, we're looking at a slew of bilateral summits there. And uh, President Yoon suk of course, has said himself previously that he is Korea's number one salesman. And uh, there's certainly a lot of business, a lot of cooperation to be won uh, over in New York, speaking to a uh, ton of leaders over there. But uh, I want to kind of uh, talk about some notable facts about Yoon's bilateral meetings, uh, and that was the very first bilateral meeting uh, with the leaders of San Marino, Burundi, and Montenegro. Uh, ever since Korea's built its uh, diplomatic ties with the countries mentioned there, uh, what were the agendas in the meeting there, Yane?
2: Yes. So uh, in his summit with San Marino, uh, first of all, Yun met with the two captains, uh, Regent of San Marino, Alessandro Scarano and Adele Tonini, and shared his hope to reinforce the bilateral cooperation in tourism specifically. Uh, And the leaders called for creating the necessary legal framework for economic cooperation, including agreements regarding double taxation and investment. Uh, Being a small state located near Italy with a population of just over 30, 000, San Marino is a is a member country of the BIE and has the right to vote on the location of the expo at the end of November. Now, in the meeting with uh, Burundian President Everest uh, Ndaishime, the first since diplomatic relations were est- uh, that was established in 1991, President Yoon explained the Korean government's effort to expand economic cooperation with the entire African continent. In particular, Yoon Requested uh, President Ndaishima's interest and participation in the Korea-Africa Summit, which will be held in Korea for the first time next year. Also, President Yoon met with uh, Montenegrin President uh, Yakov Milatovic and noted that economic exchanges between the two countries are growing rapidly, with bilateral trade reaching a record high last year and South Korea's imports of copper ore from Montenegro increasing 10 times year-on-year. Now, Milatovic uh, responded that the two countries should move forward not only with the Economic Cooperation Agreement, but with the Strategic Cooperation Document as well.
0: Again, with uh, President Yoon So-Gear taking part in about 30 or so bilateral summits uh, throughout his five-day trip to New York, we'll continue to give you guys a full coverage on some of the outcomes of this summit, and as well as uh, connecting with an expert to talk about all that and more in the future. But for now, moving on here What's also notable is that North Korea has not sent this government official to the United Nations General Assembly again this year. This is the fifth time that the country did so since 2018. Not surprising here, uh, but nevertheless, uh, Adan, tell us more about this.
1: Sure. It has been confirmed that North Korea has not sent its government officials to the United Nations General Assembly for the fifth year in a row. According to UN officials, the schedule for North Korean representatives' speech at the general debate session has been set for the last day, September 26th. The order of speech for the general debate is usually determined according to UN protocols and traditions, and heads of state and government leaders are given the priority, while foreign ministers and ambassadors are scheduled later. The fact that North Korea's uh, speech is scheduled for the last day means that the speaker is at the ambassador level or lower. So, so it appears that Mr. Kim Sung, North Korea's uh, permanent representative to the UN, is expected to give a speech again following his speech last year. The last time North Korea sent an official to the U.N. headquarters in New York was at the 73rd session of the U.N. General Assembly in 2018. At that time, then-North Korean Foreign Minister Lee Yong-ho lashed out at then-U.S. President Donald Trump, calling him a mentally deranged person full of megalomania. Meanwhile, Pyongyang's state media reported Tuesday that its leader Kim Jong-un has returned to North Korea after a trip to Russia that, quote, opened a new chapter for the development of the bilateral relations between the two nations. Kim, who left Pyongyang on his armor train on September 10th, held a summit with Russian President Vladimir Putin on Wednesday and toured a series of key military sites amid growing concerns of a possible arms deal between the two nations. The state media reported that the North's leader, quote, further deepen the comradely fellowship and friendly ties with Putin and the government and people of Russia and open a new chapter of the development of the DPRK and Russia relations.
0: What's interesting with uh, Li hos comments is uh, shortly after that uh, they saw improved relations between uh, Trump and uh, Kim Jong-un, and you had the Singapore Summit happen, you had the Hanoi Summit happen, which of course ended up being the reason why we still have uh, no dialogue between North Korea. South Korea and the US as well. But again, not surprising that North Korea is not taking part in this at this time. We have been also keeping a close track on the developments and improved relations between not just North Korea and Russia, but China, Russia as well. We have TASS, a Russian news agency, reporting that China's t- diplomat Wang Yi held talks with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov uh, this on Monday local time and uh, stressed bilateral cooperation between the two countries. Uh, Yane, tell us more about this meeting.
2: Right. So kicking off the meeting with Lavrov at the Foreign Ministry's reception house in Moscow, Russia, Wang Yi said that China and Russia have independent uh, foreign policies, highlighting that, quote, our cooperation is not aimed at any specific state and is not influenced by other countries. Now, Lavrov responded that Russia has been very successful in coordinating actions with other countries in the so-called Global South, uh, which refers to emerging economies in the Southern Hemisphere, and has achieved positive results within the frameworks of the East Asian Summit, the G20 Summit, and the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Uh, this talk, this, uh, these talks came as Wang traveled to Russia immediately after meeting with the U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan in Malta. Uh, Wang arrived in Moscow in the 18th and will remain in Russia until the 21st to attend the 18th round of uh, China-Russia strategic security consultations. Now, in addition to Lavrov, Wang is expected to meet with the Secretary of the National Security Council, Nikolai Patrushev, and Russian media outlet RTVI even speculated there is a chance Wang may also meet with President Putin. Now, it is also noteworthy that the Chinese foreign minister's visit to Russia comes shortly after North Korean leader Kim Jong-un's travel to Russia, uh, which happened last week, where uh, Kim held a summit with uh, President Putin. In his stay in Russia, Wang is expected to coordinate the summit between Putin and Xi Jinping, uh, which is expected next month, and discuss the situation in Ukraine and last week's North Korea and Russia summit.
0: Now, while all of this happening with uh, the meeting between uh, Wang Yi and his Russian counterpart in Sergei Lavrov, we've also been seeing high-level talks uh, happening between Uh, both the United States and China as well. And this time, China's Vice President Han Zhang uh, met with U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken over in New York on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly uh, as the Biden administration and Beijing uh, continue to step up high-level contacts ahead of what could be potentially leader-level summit uh, this fall. Uh, Adan, tell us more about this.
1: That's right. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Chinese Vice President Han Zheng on Monday on the sidelines of the UN uh, General Assembly, the latest in a series of meetings aimed at reducing tensions between the world's two largest economies. In a statement after the meeting, the U.S. State Department said the talks involved a candid and constructive discussion, and the two agreed to maintain open lines of communication and discussed Russia's invasion of Ukraine, North Korea, and the Taiwan Strait. And as Yein said, uh, the Monday's meeting followed 12 hours of meetings that happened last weekend in Malta between White House National Security Advisor Jake, uh, Jake Sullivan and Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi. Uh, Blinken said in brief remarks at the beginning of his meeting with Han, quote, The world expects us to responsibly manage our relationship. He added, quote, The United States is committed to doing just that. Blinken also said, quote, From the perspective of the United States, face-to-face diplomacy is the best way to deal with areas where we disagree and also the best way to explore areas of cooperation between us. And Han told Blinken that currently China-U.S. relations face many difficulties and challenges, noting that China hoped the U.S. would make efforts to implement the consensus reached by the two countries' leaders and promote the stable development of relations. Han said the world needed stable and healthy china U.S. relations. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden expressed disappointment this month uh, that Chinese President Xi Jinping had skipped a summit of G20 leaders in India but said he would get to see him. And the talks between Blinken and Han could help, help set the stage for a meeting between Biden and Xi later this year. The most likely opportunity will be at an Asia-Pacific Economic Conference in San Francisco in November. However, neither uh, Blinken nor Han in their remarks explicitly mentioned whether such a meeting would materialize.
0: Now, of course uh, it's no matter how much the relations between Washington and Beijing has deteriorated over the past several years now uh, the good sign uh, the good news is that there are still discussions because I think notice that it's Washington pushing for these dialogues, right it's it's the High-ranking officials in Washington that's making the trips over to Beijing to hold talks is because, despite all these different sanctions or whatever restrictions put on uh, on China, the U.S. knows clearly that they cannot move forward without China. China does a whole lot in helping uh, keep the the global uh, the market going, uh, especially when uh, you know Joe Biden is pushing for this whole inflation reduction. Uh, there's no way to reduce inflation if not for the uh, all the, the the factories in China that, that are producing much cheap uh, the cheap labor and so forth but again, discussions and I think uh, the other important thing that's going to pop up I believe uh, next week we have a uh, high ranking high level talks uh, coming in uh, between South Korea, Japan and China and hopefully trying to resume uh, the dialogue between the leaders there as well. So good news on that front. In the meantime let's move on. I guess a uh, good news for Iran this time and uh, maybe uh, improve relations between Seoul and Tehran. We have the South Korean government officially confirming, I believe the Iranian foreign ministry also confirmed this as well that the Iranian funds that have remained frozen in South Korea uh, for the past uh, over four years now due to U.S. sanctions have been released. They were transferred to an account over in Qatar uh, that's, I believe, uh, owned by Iran. Uh, With the resolution of this frozen funds issue, which we've been talking about for some quite time now, uh, which, again, has been a factor in deteriorating bilateral relations between South Korea and Iran, we can probably now expect normalization of the diplomatic ties between the two countries. So, uh, Yane, let's get more on this.
2: Right. So the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of, uh, and the Ministry of Strategy and Finance said in their joint press release today uh, that Iranian funds frozen in South Korea have been successfully transferred to a third country. Now, the government explained, uh, quote, with a clear recognition that these funds belong to the Iranian people, we have continued diplomatic communication and consultation with relevant countries for the ultimate resolution of the frozen funds issue. Uh, adding that that the role of third countries such as Qatar and Switzerland has been really crucial to resolving this issue. The government expressed its gratitude to the countries for playing constructive role. The U.S. and Iran uh, exchanged prisoners the previous day, uh, completing the process of transferring about $6 billion of Iran's crude oil exports, which had been tied up in banks in South Korea, from a Swiss account to an Iranian account in a Qatari bank in Euros. Uh, the export proceeds were deposited in Korean won-based accounts of Iranian financial institutions at banks in South Korea and used for settlements for trade between the two countries however uh, it uh, has been frozen since May 2019 when former president Donald Trump's administration reinstated sanctions against Iran uh, while the Korean government has been trying for years to resolve this through various diplomatic efforts a bre- breakthrough came last month when the US and Iran uh, through the mediation of Qatar agreed to release frozen funds in South Korea and swap prisoners uh, from its side uh, Iran has been pressuring South Korea to resolve the issue, including the detention of a South Korean ship in waters near Oman by Iran's uh, Revolutionary Guard Corps in 2021. Uh, Now that the issue of frozen funds, uh, which had been one of the biggest obstacles to uh, their bilateral relations, is resolved, the government is expected to push for more active exchanges with Iran.
0: That's right. I believe uh, U.S. President Joe Biden came out uh, after that, releasing a statement thanking all the countries involved Uh, in making this happen, including South Korea, uh, the governments of Switzerland, Oman, and Qatar. I believe the way that the, the wire transfer took place was South Korea sending the money to Switzerland, and then from Switzerland to uh, Qatar, uh, and uh, obviously uh, Iran receiving that. But yes, it was, I mean, there was a number of, the, the thing is, you can't really blame Korea, right? I mean, it wasn't like kind of like, they, you know, we're not going to give you the money here. US sanctions in place, there's nothing that they could do. And so it was really frustrating for the South Korean government. Again, Yane talked about the uh, the South Korean ship that was uh, sort of held captive uh, by the Iranian revolutionary guard corps and what they cited at the time was something like uh i think there was like a like a chemical leak or like a oil leak or something that's what they cited and they're saying you're ruining our waters and then when experts went in there was no leakage or anything like they were making excuses to keep this uh ship hostage sort of uh in place of the frozen assets and i think they the south korean government were able to get to tehran and say listen We can't do anything about this. It's not us to make the decision on this. As long as the U.S. sanctions are in place, we can't do anything about it. If we start giving you the money, we might get slapped by U.S. sanctions ourselves. So finally, after order uh, four years, uh, it's good to see that this Uh, issue has been resolved. But uh, we're going to continue to talk about this uh, rare prisoner swap because you had a total of five Americans uh, who were detained in Iran. I believe uh, only a number of that, I believe like three of them were in Iranian prison And two of them were just like not allowed to go. I forgot the actual figure. Uh, You also have five Iranians uh, who are held captive in the United States uh, for mostly violation of U.S. sanctions there. Uh, They also arrived in Qatar Monday uh, before heading to their final destinations. Let's talk about this swap uh, deal between Washington and Tehran. Aran, you have more on this.
1: Sure. Five American citizens and two Iranians out of five arrived at Toa International Airport on Monday as part of a prisoner exchange between the United States and Iran, brokered by Qatar. The Americans being repatriated uh, include Siamek Namazi, Imad Shargi, and Murad Tabaz, as well as two others who asked their identity not be made public. All five have been designated as wrongfully detained by the Iranian government. A few hours earlier, the two Iranians also arrived in Doha before heading to Tehran, and their names are um, Mehrdad Moin Ansari and Reza Sarhangpur. A total of five Iranians involved in the prisoner swap have either been charged with or convicted of non-violent offenses. Two do not have legal standing uh, to stay in the United States and have now uh, been transported to Iran. Other two are lawful permanent residents of the United States and one is is a uh, dual Iranian-American citizen. And these three decided not to return to Iran. The five detained Americans all served time in Iran's notorious Evin prison, but were placed on house arrest when Tehran and Washington reached a deal. 51-year-old Namazi is an oil executive and an Iranian-American dual nationalist. He was first detained in 2015 and was subsequently sentenced to 10 years in prison after a conviction on collaboration with a hostile government for his ties to the United States. Shargi, a 58-year-old businessman, was detained in 2018 and released in 2019 before he was re-arrested in 2020 and handed down a a 10-year sentence on an espionage charge. Tabaz, uh, 67, is an Iranian-American conservationist who was arrested in 2018 and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Uh, Like you said, uh, SJ, uh, meanwhile, President Joe Biden expressed his appreciation to South Korea and other countries for helping achieve the return of five American citizens detained in Iran. Uh, In a statement released on Monday, uh, Biden said, quote, I'm grateful to our partners at home and abroad for their tireless effort to help us achieve this outcome, including the governments of Qatar, uh, Oman, Switzerland and South Korea, noting uh, the detainees uh, endured years of agony, uncertainty and suffering. He also reminded uh, U.S. citizens of the serious risks of traveling to Iran, while stressing uh, reuniting wrongfully detained Americans with their loved ones has been a priority for his administration. Also highlighting their stance, a spokesperson from the White House reiterated that there has been no change in uh, the perception that Iran remains a hub of terrorism.
0: Yeah, so it's, it gets interesting with the, the two other Americans uh, who, they they weren't detained in prison. Like the, One of the things is they, they don't want their identity to be released, but they weren't in prison. They were in Iran, but they were not allowed to leave Iran. Uh, was what it is and so uh, nevertheless and a very rare prisoner swap and of course uh, there is some consensus that the Republicans are going to be very much against this if Iran does is labeled as quote unquote hub of terrorism uh, then you know according to con- uh, cons- conservatives, there is no deal being done. We don't deal with uh, terrorists is what uh, I think, what was it? I believe uh, former President George W. Bush once said as well. Uh, Let's move on here. On Monday, U.S. court dismissed a lawsuit filed by U.S. nuclear power company Westinghouse against uh, Korea Hydra Nuclear Power Corporation to block exporting nuclear power plants. Now, the court ruled that Westinghouse does not have the standing to sue uh, without touching on the intellectual property issue, which is at the center of this very case. So, Yena, uh, fill us in on this.
2: Sure. So, in October October last year, uh, Westinghouse filed a lawsuit seeking to block the export of South Korea nuclear power plants uh, that Korea Hydro and Nuclear Power, or KHNP, uh, plans to export to Poland and the Czech Republic, alleging that KHNP uses Westinghouse technology that is subject to export controls under the U.S. Atomic Energy Act. Now, Westinghouse cited Section. 810 of the U.S. Code of Federal Regulations, which uh, designates certain nuclear power technologies as subject to expert controls and imposes an obligation to obtain a Department of Energy's license to, to, tra- to transfer to a foreign country. Now, in response, KHNP argued that the Atomic Energy Act exclusively delegates the authority to enforce the law to the U.S. Attorney General and does not authorize a private party like Westinghouse to assert its rights through litigation. The U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia dismissed Westinghouse's lawsuit for this reason. Although the court dismissed the case due to Westinghouse's uh, lack of standing to sue to enforce Section uh, 810, the key issue here was whether the Korean nuclear plant was Westinghouse's technology or South Korea's original technology. Now, KHNP says it did Receive assistance from Westinghouse in the early stages of development, uh, but the power plants it is seeking to export are independently developed and not subject to U.S. export controls. The court did not address this issue directly in this ruling, but the dismissal of the case relieves uh, KHNP of the burden for exporting their uh, nuclear power plants. However, the dismissal is not a complete resolution of the issue. Now, given that Westinghouse has been claiming intellectual property infringement since the export of Korean nuclear plants to the UAE, it is likely that it will appeal the ruling and continue to pursue the matter through other channels.
0: Yeah, it's just interesting how uh, Westinghouse continues to bring up this issue because I think um, Korea Hydro and Nuclear Power Plant tried to work out a deal uh, even though it was uh, Korean technology, they were saying, listen, since we did get some sort of uh, assistance from you guys in the beginning, that we're willing to sort of split this deal uh, when it comes to building these uh, power plants over in the UAE. But I think Westinghouse basically came out and said, no, 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 no. We're taking over everything. And so the business that South Korea was able to get, Westinghouse wanted to basically take take from themselves. And I believe it's not just the UAE. I believe there was a, a issue with uh, power plant establishment in poland as well i might be uh, n- i might not be correct on that one but nevertheless i don't think this is going to be the last time we'll be hearing about this let's talk oil here because um i was getting very excited that uh, i'm getting a new car soon uh but it runs on gasoline i was driving a diesel car until i said you know what I, let, let's go a little bit greener not much greener but uh, slightly greener than diesel and next thing you know gas prices are hitting Record highs right now. Uh, we have global oil prices on track to hit a 100- hundred dollars a barrel however uh it does appear that the market has mixed views on this projection so tell us what pushes the prices that high and how analysts are seeing this trend
1: sure as global oil prices leap higher traders and analysts are increasingly talking about the possibility of oil prices going above 100 dollars a barrel according to foreign media including bloomberg on monday local time Concerns about global supply disruptions pushed the spot price of U.S. West Texas Intermediate, or WTI, crude oil to $91.48, setting a new yearly high. On the same day, international benchmark Brent crude oil on the London ICE futures exchange also closed at a new annual high of $94.43 per barrel, up 50 cents uh, or 0.53% from the previous day. Brent has risen by more than 30% since its low point in March, driven by production cuts by Saudi Arabia and Russia amid, uh, amid a surge in oil consumption to record levels. Saudi Arabia's Ministry of Energy announced last month that it would extend its uh, 1 million barrels per day uh, production cut through to December. Russia also pledges to reduce uh, its oil exports by 300,000 barrels per day until the end of the year. Concerns about a supply shortage are also fueled by U.S. uh, shale oil production that will decrease for the third consecutive month. According to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, uh, U.S. oil production in October is estimated to drop to the lowest level since May. This represents a decrease of about 40,000 barrels per day from the previous month and the largest decline since December 2022. This production decline is largely uh, attributable to the U.S. shale oil companies now prioritizing returning profits to investors and paying off debt by scaling down their production facilities rather than increasing production. On the demand side, uh, China, despite the economic slowdown since the pandemic, remains a strong driver for oil demand, serving as a key risk factor for global oil prices. Reuters uh, reported that some crude oil prices in the spot market have already exceeded $100. According to the London Stock Exchange Group, the price of Nigerian crude oil, Kwa- uh, Iboe, exceeded $100 per barrel on Monday. Malaysian crude oil Tapis also reached $101.30 last week. However, not everyone believes oil prices are going to be above $100. A Wall Street analyst said uh, oil prices may head toward $100 for a short period of time amid uh, output cuts and geopolitical tensions, but they are likely to uh, li- they are likely retreat in the long term. Also, Citigroup's global head of commodity research, Ed Morse, said that the Saudi Arabia's policy to withhold oil from the market backed by Russia's export constraint, will lead to higher prices in the short term. But these are unsustainable given faster supply growth than demand growth.
0: Yeah, what's interesting about this is uh, whatever is happening on the Chinese economy seems to be really uh, moving the prices of the crude futures because it was just about last week, I think it was, or last week or the previous week, uh, we had the Uh, crude futures kind of sinking uh, because they were saying that China doesn't seem to be needing, there's less demand for crude uh, just based on China's data. Uh, And then I believe just recently, a few days ago, China's economic data came out. They came out that it's recovering better than expected. Now they're going, whoa, China needs a whole lot of oil, uh, a whole lot of oil now. So it's a lot of back and forth uh, at this time here. But uh, the fact of the matter is it is inching closer to figures that we've seen. Uh, About last year, I think, was when we saw really peak uh, figures when the uh, the crude prices reached over uh, $100 a barrel there. Guys, we're going to move on now to domestic politics. Uh, it's getting quite loud over there. Uh, President Yoon Sung-yar on Monday approved a motion requesting parliamentary consent to the arrest motion of DP leader Young, Myung, uh, who is, of course, facing a uh, number of charges allegedly uh, involved with uh, preferential treatment in the Pekyandong Development Project, uh, the alleged illegal remittance to North Korea through Sangbangro Group. Uh, Yay, let's get more on this.
2: Sure. President Yoon's approval for Lee's arrest was made in New York, uh, where he is currently attending the United Nations General Assembly. Uh, the Justice Ministry sent the arrest motion to the National Assembly this morning after receiving uh, President Yoon seok yeols approval of the request submitted by the Seoul ne- uh, Central District Court to the prosecution. When the Ministry of Justice requests an arrest motion to the National Assembly, the National Assembly Act requires the Speaker of the National Assembly to report the motion at the first plenary session that happens after the request is made. It needs to put it to a vote uh, within 72 hours after the 24th hour of the report, and the arrest motion is expected to be reported to the plenary session on the 20th and voted on the 21st. Now, In the meantime, Yun also granted his approval uh, from New York uh, regarding the appointment of Kim dong char a former lawmaker, as the 22nd president of Korea Electric Power Corporation, who will be the very first politician to become the CEO of Kepco in 62 years since the company was founded in 1961.
0: Let's uh, move on here. We have uh, former President Moon Jae-in making sort of his first official public appearance today uh, ever since the end of his five-year tenure last year. Uh, Attending the event commemorating the 5th anniversary of the September 19th Inter-Korean Summit Agreement, Um, there had been speculation that he would meet DP representative, uh, DP leader, uh, Lee Jae-myung on his way to the event. It's been confirmed that he did visit him. Uh, in the hospital there. Uh, I don't. Let's get the latest over there.
1: Sure. Former South Korean President Moon Jae-in attended a uh, fifth anniversary event for the September 19 Pyongyang Joint Declaration held in Yeouido, west of uh, Seoul. This is Moon's first official appearance in Seoul since he left his office in May of last year. Pyongyang joint declaration was signed on September 19, 2018 by then-South Korean President Moon Jae-in and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, and the two leaders agreed for civilian exchanges and cooperation in many areas and groundbreaking measures to diffuse uh, military tension. Given the strengthening uh, military and security cooperation between South Korea, the United States, and Japan, uh, amid increasing solidarity between North Korea, China, and Russia— Moon uh, is to uh, voice concerns about the escalating tensions on the Korean peninsula in his speech, uh, which will be, I think, uh, it has been delivered already uh, in uh, in the event. Uh, so um, on his way to the event venue, Moon uh, paid a visit to the opposition leader, Lee Jae-myung, at a hospital and urged him to end a strong hunger strike he has been on in protest against government policies. Lee was taken to a hospital due to uh, deteriorating health as his hunger strike entered the uh, ninth day today, uh, 19th day today. There had been a speculation within the deep, uh, Democratic Party that if Moon meets Lee in person and could persuade him, and many uh, in the party expected Moon's visit could be an exit strategy for ending uh, Lee's hunger strike. In a visit that lasted for 23 minutes, uh, Moon reportedly asked Lee to cease the hunger strike, and uh, Moon himself previously had an experience of going on a strike, uh, going on a hunger strike for 10 days. Mm.
0: Now, of course, uh, it is going to over the next few days are going to be quite interesting with the parliamentary vote. Uh, I believe it's going to be uh, reported confirmed tomorrow with the dismissal, uh, sorry, the arrest motion and the dismissal motion of uh, Han Deok-soo as well. We'll get more updates on that. Uh, Very quickly, although September 19th inter-Korean military agreement was at one place, uh, once considered a safety valve uh, to prevent any sort of military conflict between the two Koreas, and it marks five years. It is technically non-existent now. I think we can agree that it has been scrapped, Uh, by North Korea. We've been seeing a number of provocations. Let's quickly get uh, South Korea's a uh, strong signal and response against North Korea's threat in the recent years. Yin, uh, let's get more details on that.
2: Sure. The September uh, September 19th military agreement uh, was an annex to the Pyongyang Joint Declaration, which was signed by then-president Moon Jae-in and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un on September 19th, 2018. Now, it calls for a total cessation of hostilities in all spaces to prevent armed conflict. Uh, according to the 2022 defense white paper published by the Defense Min- Ministry of South Korea, Korea, however. Since the signing of the agreement, there have been 17 cases of North Korea explicitly violating the agreement by the end of last year, and President Suk-yeol ordered the government should consider suspending the effectiveness of the agreement if North Korea makes additional provocations to the territory. Uh, now, Shin Won-sik, the uh, nominee for defense minister, has also said that he personally believes the military agreement should be scrapped upon consult- uh, consulting with North Korea that's Uh, right. I think
0: it's a again, I mean, North Korea has said that it was South Korea that scrapped it. But I think it's North Korea that made the first move there. Unfortunately, this is all the time that we have. Guys, thank you very much for your reports. Have a safe one and we'll see you guys again. Thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.